Hey mom friend, April is World Cesarean Month, and in today's episode, we will be honoring that by talking all about cesareans. Cesarean sections, or also known as C-sections, used to be an absolute last measure in birth, leaving a high risk of mom not surviving. And although it has come a long way, especially when it comes to safety... thankfully, it has probably become the most common for moms today than it has ever been or intended it to be. And how we use it today in most cases is not how we used to use it for. Whether planned or unplanned, cesareans are still major abdominal surgeries. And today we'll be talking about all the different types, what and how it is performed, which may be a bit graphic for the imagination as a forewarning, (laughs) and why understanding what the current rate is important for you to know so you can know why this is not an easy way out or something to be taken very lightly. Whether or not you're planning to have a C-section, preparation is key because not only can it take the shock value out of this birth option, but it can also provide an opportunity to make the best out of your birth no matter what option you have or choose, which is why I created a nine-week private childbirth education course for you that prepares you during your pregnancy for childbirth and in the event that you might have a cesarean or you are planning on having a cesarean and for your recovery into postpartum. And for the month of April, I am offering a 20% discount off this course and honoring World Cesarean Month, but as a thank you for listening to this episode. To receive this discount, follow my website link in the description of this episode to book your private childbirth education course with me and email me at cbecoaching at simplifiedbirthandmotherhood.com naming the episode you felt most encouraged and empowered by to receive this discount. This offer will end May 1st. With all of that, let's get into it. Hey mama, welcome to Simplify Birth and Motherhood. I am Amanda. I am a wife and mom of four. I have had a hospital birth, unexpected C-section, a few home births, and now I am a birth advocate, childbirth educator, and your cheerleader in the toughest hood of them all, motherhood. Do you wish you knew what options were available to you when becoming a new mom or adding more to the mix? Are you ready to nurture and build up your mom gut so you can be more confident, educated, and bold? In this podcast, you will begin to understand, find support, and turn knowledge into power through education and resources for pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and for the early years of motherhood. If you are ready to get clarity to empower your birth and motherhood journey, then throw up your unbrushed hair, hike up your high-waisted pants, because sister, (laughs) I know you are wearing them. Put the baby in the ergo, and let's start feeding our God-given mom guts. See you inside. All right, come on in. I'm so thankful that you're here today, and I'm excited to be here only because (laughs) our whole family caught a spring cold. I mean, I'm not really surprised that I caught it because I usually catch it and I'm usually the last one to catch it after taking care of multiple children and all the sickness all at one time. Thankfully, my husband hasn't caught in it, which always ends up happening. So bless his heart and his immune system for that. <laughs> but I'm here because I'm dedicated and I'm actually super excited to talk to you guys about this particular topic because as you guys know, I am a cesarean mom, but most importantly, it's just becoming so common. And with April being World Cesarean Month, I love to talk about this topic in particular and really dive into it because it's, like I said, becoming more and more common. So with that, today we're just going to talk about all about cesareans. We're not going to 
get too much into V-backs or H-backs or things like that. That will be for another time, (laughs) but let's just get into it. So you're probably wondering, you probably already know, but if this is your first time ever hearing it, or maybe your provider has mentioned the term cesarean, you're kind of wondering what it is. Well, the term cesarean derives from the Latin word cesus, which means to cut. And a cesarean is a major abdominal surgery where baby is surgically removed from mama's uterus through an incision that is a cut through the abdomen and uterine wall. So we have a lot of separating, a lot of cutting, a lot. It's pretty graphic. <laughs> and and honestly, when I talk about cesareans, it kind of not necessarily turns my stomach, but it just makes me feel like, oof, my goodness, that's a lot. <laughs> Because just the amount of cutting and everything like that, the preparation that goes into it, it's it's not, again, the easy way out. So there are two ways to go about a cesarean. Again, just as a forewarning, all my kids are all participating in this. They are in the other room being occupied. So if you hear little sounds, little screams, little noises, just know that's just part of life. And with us being sick, it is... Uh, A quiet moment is not uh, very common in our house right now. But again, there are two ways to go about a cesarean. First is a planned cesarean, and about 40% of moms fall into this category. And that can be for a lot of reasons that we're going to be talking about a little bit later on in the episode. But the second option is unplanned, and about 60% of moms have this happen to them, which means you're in labor and things just take a turn and you end up having to deliver via c-section and last one is an emergency now when this is when something needs to be done quickly like literally there's no time and this is just a means to an end or to quickly resolve the emergency and most unplanned cesareans or c-sections happen for quote i'm doing this with my air quote emergency purposes but does that constitute it as being an emergency it's case by case but Usually if it's an emergency situation, it actually is pretty rare that it actually is an emergency to do a cesarean. You'll most likely have the epidural in during the procedure rather than a spinal tap or be knocked out. In some cases, mom might be knocked out for the sake of maybe there is an emergency and this is the only option. And most often they will do the epidural just because they can keep the epidural in for a lot longer than doing a spinal tap. But again, it just varies from hospital to hospital from anesthesiologist to anesthesiologist. And if you happen to already be in labor and already have the epidural, they're just going to keep it in anyways. They're not going to take it out and do another method if it's absolutely not necessary. So most likely some moms in these cases already do have the epidural. And there are rare cases when mom, like I said, will be knocked out but these only happen in high emergency cases. So when they do the cesarean, there are about three types of incisions that are made about four to six inches from the pubic hairline. The first one is a classical, which is done vertically in between the belly button and the pubic area. These are actually not done very often nowadays, just because of afterwards the risk that it poses to mom in future pregnancies. There's more a little bit of a higher chance of uterine rupture happening with these classical incisions. So they don't really 
normally do those nowadays. What they normally do is they do a either a low vertical, which is also done vertically like a classical incision, but it's a little bit more closer to the pubic area. So it's not as large, it's not as wide and broad in those cases. But the most common incision that they make nowadays, because they are finding that with this cut, they are likely to have, mom is likely to have less high risk of uterine rupture and things like that. And it's called low transverse, which is also known as the bikini cut. Most doctors prefer to do this method based off of the safety in future pregnancies, in healing and things like that. But this is done horizontally above the pubic area. It goes from one side to the next horizontally. And how the cut is really determined based on the individual surgeon's experience and preference. So this is why it varies from surgeon to surgeon because of the fact that sometimes they might want to do a classical incision, which would be... (laughs) to me is outrageous because it's so outdated and does not have a very high safety rate when it comes to that. But it just really depends. A lot of these doctors like doing and will do the bikini cut, the low transfers. And this is not even just internally, but also externally. They will make different types of cuts externally where they will do the bikini cut on the outside, meaning what we can see on the outside when we look in the mirror or when we, things like that. But on the inside, they might do a classical or low vertical incision. And we'll talk more about that and why that matters in a next episode, which we'll talk about feedbacks and things like that. So as you can see, cesareans, you get a cut. That's why the Latin word derives from the meaning to cut. Whether you are already in labor or you're going in for a planned cesarean, how the procedure starts is you're basically going to start by signing any and all consent forms. This is with the assumption that you are fully under the understanding of the benefits and risks of the procedures for you and your baby. If you aren't necessarily going in for like a planned cesarean, meaning your doctor and you have discussed it before going into labor before he has set the date for you to have a planned cesarean for reasons that there might be a legitimate reason why you need to do this, he probably or he or she will probably go over what the benefits and the risks are, what the procedure's like, what to expect and things like that. So some doctors will do that if you have enough time to prepare for that. But most times when it's unplanned, There really is not a lot of time for them to be able to do that. If they do, it's very brief and it's not really giving you an idea to fully or thoroughly understand it. Along with that, after you'll have a discussion will be given between based off of what to expect, medical history, current or past, if you're allergic to anything, if you've eaten anything within eight hours, which don't even get me started on this point alone. And we'll discuss that another time. But if you have, even if you haven't, an antacid will be given whether or not you've eaten to prevent the aspiration during surgery. It will, what this does is it decreases the acid in your stomach and helps dry any secretions in your mouth or passageways. Because the idea of aspiration during surgery is, although it is very rare, it still is a concern for the doctors. So the anesthesiologist will then discuss any anesthesia options with you if you've not already been given one before the procedure. Oftentimes that is the epidural if if you already have had one. Whatever that may be at the time, it will pretty much numb you from your chest down all the way down to your feet. If you've not already been wheeled off into the operating room and your incision area and abdomen will be cleaned, a catheter will be placed in your bladder 
heart rate and blood pressure monitors will be put on you. An IV will be placed in your hand or arm to provide fluid, drugs, and any antibiotics to prevent infection. And then if the anesthesia has not already been performed, it will be done. What they do in the operating room is they take roll call and everybody is specifically responsible for something in the procedure. So whether it's responsible for the tools, whether it's responsible for making the incision, suctioning, uh, care patient, those types of things. And there are specific people who are in there doing something. And what they do is they take a roll call and they make sure that everybody who's supposed to be there is there, but also that they state what their job and responsibilities are. So that way it's a form of communication. with. So what they do is they will begin by making a cut. So along the incision line. And there are about six layers they have to cut through. They have to cut, then open, separate, move to the sides <laughs> to get to the baby. And the first cut that they do is on the skin, which is externally. Then they do the subconscientious tissue, which is the inner layer of skin that is made of fat, connective tissue, large blood vessels and nerves. This is what helps regulate body temperature and the thickness varies from person to person. So pretty much how much fat and no fat that you have underneath that. Next, what is cut is the fascia and our body all over has so much fascia. And so this is connective tissue and it's kind of like a casing when you think of like a sausage and it's encased. It pretty much is made of collagen and that it surrounds the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments helping keeping everything into its shape. In the meantime of that happening is your bladder is kind of moved to the side so that it's protected. And to say that it can be nicked or not be nicked is really up to the person or the surgeon because some sometimes there are issues with that where certain organs can be cut into or nicked by the scalpel and that can cause other different issues. So next is the rectus abdominal muscles. So these are actually not cut. This is the only muscle that is the only portion that is not cut and they're pretty much our abdominals. And they, if you've never seen an anatomy or a body of abdominals, they kind of have this line, this wall kind of separating from the left to the right. And how they happen in surgery is what they do is they separate them to the sides. And and if they need to be, they might be stitched back together if that needs to happen after the separation, but they pull them apart after they've gotten done separating those abdominals. What they'll do is they'll go to the peritoneum, a membrane that lines the abdominal cavity, and this supports the organs of the abdomen and acts as a channel for the passage for nerves, blood vessels, and the lymphatic system. It's pretty thin and it has fluid to prevent any friction of the layers. And then lastly, what they do is they cut through the uterine muscle. And this is where it holds baby. Our uterus holds the baby. So what they do, they make a cut in that inside the uterus is not just baby, but the amniotic sac, which is broken and holds the amniotic fluid. And it also has the placenta attached to it as well. So they got to get in there and get it all out. <laughs> so like I said, it's a little bit graphic. So just 
as a forewarning. Once that is all done, baby is taken out within 15 minutes of the start of the surgery. Baby will be suctioned, cord would be clamped, and you'll be shown baby. Baby will be taken over for an assessment and will be given any extra support if they need to. They will be wrapped and placed either on your chest or placed next to your face. After that, you'll be sewn back up with staples or sutures and the surgery is complete. And from start to finish, it is about 30 minutes to about two hours. And then you are in the recovery room. (laughs) There are things that you can request to make the procedure and process feel more gentle. We call this a gentle cesarean. And we'll talk more about gentle cesarean in the coming weeks because it is a real thing. And I think this is where this is headed as far as when it comes to cesareans. So we will talk about that, how we can prepare for one, how can we request for one. But whether planned or not planned, you can still strive for this in the operating room and whatever you want in the recovery period. Because sometimes some of the things in our recovery room aren't really any different than if we were to have a regular vaginal birth. So those are some things that we could still plan as if we had already wanted to plan for a vaginal birth, but that wasn't what we got. Or even if we have a planned cesarean, there are still some things that we can plan in our recovery that doesn't matter whether or not you've had a vaginal birth or a cesarean. So that's how the procedure is done. And now when we think about cesareans, cesareans were not really meant to be used the way that they are today when they first started doing them. The history of C-sections go way back before the Bronze Age. However, it was adopted by the Romans as a medical procedure and was not considered until either mother had already died or was just about to die. And it was done pretty much as a like desperate measure. And it was pretty much intended only to save the baby and it was not intended to save the mother's life. I mean, the mother would not survive. It wasn't until about the 15 and 1600s that C-section was coined and this practice became a little safer. With history, we see moms and the reporting of mothers and babies surviving the procedures because they were happening in these rural areas and kitchens and beds of homes and done when mom and baby were not near distress or close to death. Whereas in the hospital, surgery was more prone to infections due to cross-contamination and the uncleanliness of the medical assistants and attendants that performed these surgeries. So in later 18th century, cadavers were made available to learn the anatomy of the body and to extend their knowledge and understanding to better prepare them for these operations. We see successful C-section procedures happening around this time in Africa. And what they did is they use the wine of a banana (laughs) for sanitation purposes for the operator's hands and for the mom's abdomen prior to surgery, because we still do that today. We disinfect our hands. The surgeons wash their hands very thoroughly before surgery, but also they make sure that mom's belly is sanitized and things like that. So what they would use in the 1800s in Africa is they would use this banana wine for that. And then what they would do is that they would make an incision on mom's belly about midline. And when they would do that, it would categorize the wound to minimize the hemorrhaging and a uterine massage would be done, but not sutured. However, the abdominal wound would be pinned with iron needles 
and the wound would be dressed from a paste that comes from roots and they would actually again see a lot of successful procedures happening in this way. There was a point in history where c-sections seemed preferable when baby was trapped high in the pelvis. Guys this is completely nuts when you read the history about this particular reason it's insane where here as if the baby was low enough and trapped forceps would be used by inserting them through the vaginal canal deep into the pelvis to bring baby out anytime that they would do this it would leave mother completely destroyed i mean this left the mother suffer from severe vaginal and perineum tears and a lot of the times it had high levels of damage to baby and infection. The survival rate was not very high from the 1700s to the 1900s, and this was due to the lack of suturing of the uterus and no internal stitches. They just figured, the reason why they weren't doing this was because they just figured the uterine wall would go back to normal in size, and then that wound would close on itself, but it didn't. And this caused a lot more women to die more of infection than blood loss because of this reason. It wasn't until the 19th century where it became a birth possibility in the medical profession. Anesthesia came into the picture, which allowed more mothers and babies not only to survive the procedure, but the pain that went along with it was lessened. It was in the 20th century when medical advances became more common uses in labor and the C-section rate began to rise due to cultural changes and technology advances. The C-section rate in the 1970s was about 5%, but it increased to 24.7% in 1988. 1999, it decreased, so slightly due to more women attempting VBACs. And even when you read the history, and even though there have been improvements made to C-sections, it doesn't matter when you read the history of it, and even now, it's, although has become less and less of a death sentence for moms and for babies, but no matter how much better it got, it still left trauma and a wound trail for mothers. And it didn't almost seems like They never hit the nail on it. It just seemed like even with everything coming about, everything with anesthesiologists and things like that, it just never seemed like they hit it on the nail to make it a less traumatic option or there wasn't something being compromised when it came to the C-section procedure. And a few things that helped the outcomes of C-sections were cleanliness before and after and because this reduced a lot of the cross-contamination we saw later or earlier in history of bacteria from surgery to surgery from patient to patient in the operating rooms low-cut incisions anesthesiologists anesthesia antiseptics aseptics and technology would made it easier and faster and another good outcome that we did see from this is that the satisfaction rate got better because once they introduced anesthesia it allowed mom to be awake during the surgery rather just opting into just being knocked out and that really helped a lot of moms it allowed them to be awake during the surgery dads were able to be present in the operating room but even with that taking consideration this it didn't completely nail it on the head for people. And we saw and are still seeing that although it is still part of a medical 
procedure and something that we are going to see in these medical environments that we are seeing that baby is the primary patient once labor has begun. Not so much mom or her future for desire for multiple children. Because really, are doctors really asking those things to patients? I mean, maybe they are. But these are things that we have to ask when we are talking about either a planned cesarean or an unplanned cesarean is, do you intend on having more children? Because it does affect that. It really does. And those are types of questions that we need to have our providers being considering and asking us. So when we were talking about rates, cesarean rates increasing and going down, it's important that we know what this rate is. And it's important that it matters to us because the, the World Health Organization initially desired for the rate to be no more than 50% in any country that was going to be performing this type of procedure. But it has significantly been raised in the U.S., becoming the most common major surgery to be performed at a rate of 32% today and has not gone down since World War II. Other countries that are up there are like China, um, I think South America is one of them, but U.S. alone, the rate is 32%. That's double than what the WHO (laughs) wants and intended it to be. And in 2019, the unnecessary C-section births that happened with first-time moms that were considered, quote, low risk, meaning this is what was their first birth, baby was full term and in head down position was about 25.6%. At the same time in year, 86.2% of repeat moms who had a prior cesarean had repeat C-sections due to the provider not granting permission to have a VBAC at their facility. This is a real thing. This is something that we still see happening now is we are still seeing that some providers are not letting their people or their patients have or attempt to try VBACs because they will not allow it. And this really has something to do with sometimes with, I mean... (laughs) I have to even question sometimes their skill. When I hear that, that tells me, is it because you don't want to or is it because you're not skilled to? Like, that's what I want to know. Like, where is your skill level? (laughs) That usually has something to do with them not having an anesthesiologist on, on call or readily available or the liability that now they have to consider upon themselves in their practice. What also hasn't changed or improved since the cesarean rate has gone up has the risk of cerebral palsy or neonatal deaths because that is what a timely cesarean would hope to prevent. This is why we have a lot of different lawsuits because of that, because of the cerebral policy issue and things like that. But those things have not improved at the rate of which cesareans are rising. Those things have not improved at all. This means that one out of every three women will have a C-section birth which means this could be you, which is why it's always important whether you are planning for a vaginal birth, a VBAC, or whether you are planning to everything going according to plan, this is why we still need to have this in the back of our mind because it is still a possibility with it being the rate being so high right now and it becoming such a common thing and such a thing that doctors are recommending to their patients at the end of the day or something that is eventually in a resulting in after we have our baby and this is how we are delivering our baby. 
this is why preparation is so key because even if it doesn't happen, we still have to in the back of our minds knowing that this could be a possibility for us. And so we still have to prepare for that. But the question now is like, why is the rate high? Why has it increased so much? And why is it not going down? A lot of has to do with possibility of interventions and what the Friedman curve. This is the clock or a time limit. It just seems like there's just no time left that is causing more of a problem than actually resolving the issue. Mainly also too from the malpractice suits that can come along from the failure to not perform a cesarean and puts the risk on the doctor in their practice. This has a lot to do with maybe babies having cerebral palsy or something happening, damage, brain damage, those type of things happening in these types of cases. So they want to limit those things. And OBs actually are only trained for those high-risk women, which means not all women are high-risk. And about 80 to 90% of women are considered low-risk in their pregnancies, whereas only about 10 to 20% of women are high-risk and do need to be treated by an OB and possibly have surgery. But OBs are trained to look at birth as an illness and pregnancy is something to be treated. They are considered and have been taught that they are the problem solvers, meaning they're the ones to rescue a baby mom from what we call a ticking time bomb or something that is inevitably going to happen. And with this mentality, Things happen to in birth that sometimes go overly treated. And a lot of times this has to do with not wanting to be sued or not letting the process play out on its own. Or again, the mentality of things are going to go wrong. So we have to overly treat it to prevent it from going wayward or down a path that we don't want it to, to go down. So we're just going to do it for preventative measures. So that's really why it's increased. I mean, this is why it's not going down because it's the mentality is not changing. And it's not also to say that they don't understand the risk or they don't know the risk. I just think that it's not being communicated and it's not being, the benefits are being put on a pedestal more than they are the risk because there are risks and there are benefits to a cesarean depending on who you are and what your situation is. But the risks do outweigh the benefits. And the benefits are the fact that this is a quick means to an end of an emergency that arises during your pregnancy and during labor. So it's a quick means to that. But it can be used in cases where it actually can save both your life and your baby's life. I mean, and also too, it's safe. I mean, people are trained to do it and they're good at it. I mean, technology has come a long way. So we're not stuck back into the 1500s where, you know, <laughs> your probability of surviving are incredibly like zero to none. You know, I mean, the probability of you surviving in these environments have increased. So it is safe and people are trained, professionally trained. That's what OBs are. This is what they're specifically trained for. So if they can and have to perform this, then they are, they have the education and the knowledge to do so. However, like I said, there are a lot more risks associated with C-section. In the United States, as the cesarean delivery rate has increased, maternal mortality and morbidity has also 
risen steadily over the last three decades, disproportionately impacting black women as compared to other races. So we're seeing this happen among more so among black women. C-sections have been shown to be more dangerous for mom and have complications of infection, hemorrhaging, blood clots, injury to major organs such as bladder and the intestines. And also too, it's not uncommon for babies to be physically injured. It's rare, but it happens. Or to be born prematurely, which ends up sending them over into the NICU, needing those additional assistance, things like that. And it also robs baby of hormones that mom releases during labor. And baby misses out on a lot of that vaginal bacteria that is very vital for the for their guts, for their immune system, their gut microbiome. A few other things are infection at the incision site. Some people have a negative reaction to the anesthesia. Scar tissue can lead to a lot of pain and cause a lot of future pregnancy problems. There are also chances of future C-sections, so you're putting yourself on the docket for other ones. Um, we have a lot of higher emotional trauma and negative birth perspective experiences, Um we know that recovery for uh, C-section is a lot longer than vaginal birth and is a little bit more rougher. There is a high maternal death rate, increases chances of uterine rupture. Also, too, trouble with breastfeeding. Those things really do happen. And the studies have shown that the risk is the hospital itself and the providers, Studies are also showing that too. The studies are also showing that the risks only increase the older you get. So women who are older than 35, it is more likely for this these things to happen. And not to say that cesareans, even if they have to be planned or unplanned, are all bad things because sometimes we need to have a cesarean. And that was what we would call a planned cesarean beforehand, something that we have to plan in our pregnancy, set a date for because it's planned. And a lot of those things happen to placenta previa where the cervix is covered or blocked by the placenta. Baby's position is not optimal. Breached birth, transverse, posterior, forward facing, I mean, forehead facing, I mean, breech births, it's like I've mentioned before, is truly is a lost art. But that is one of the reasons why they perform C-sections in hospitals is due to one of these, that position is the breech birth. Any medical problems your baby might have beforehand, twins or multiples, Maybe if you've had a previous cesarean birth and that is based on an incision type that increases your chances for uterine rupture, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, those are some reasons why they would plan for you to have a cesarean or if it's obviously an emergency, those types of things. Things that are considered unplanned, why they would do a cesarean and call it an unplanned cesarean is failure to progress. That is the most common abnormal fetal heart rates, CPD, which is cephalopelvic disproportion, which means the head does not fit through the pelvis, <laughs> the slowdown over stalling of labor, pushing phase has gone too long, maybe even after augmentation or inducement efforts, labor is not progressing, um, especially at the rate that they want it to. This would also mean failure to progress. Um, baby 
position is making it very difficult for a baby to be born vaginally or it's making it impossible. Umbilical cord is pinched or prolapsed. That usually happens when we have our waters broken a little too early. There is a high risk for that happening. Severe birth defects, fetal distress. But I do believe that some of these reasons are reasonable reasons to have a cesarean. But do I believe that all of them are? No. Because there are other alternatives to problem solve to where some of these things can have a resolution or can be solved and it not be an issue anymore or not become an issue to automatically opt into having a cesarean section. But emergency purposes, cesarean sections need sometimes to happen in emergency purposes situations. And these things can arise during your pregnancy, during your birth, those type of things like placenta abruption, which means the separation of the placenta is happening between the uterine wall before birth. That is very dangerous. Cord prolapse, where baby's head is still considered high and the umbilical cord slips through the dilated cervix. Any type of uterine rupture and or baby's heart rate drops or rises dramatically and goes flat and can't be resolved by the provider. Because sometimes a dramatic heart rate for babies is not normal. So we do need to consider that being an emergency and going into surgery because of those reasons. So cesareans are not wrong. Cesareans is not something that is not okay with society in a sense where we shouldn't be having them in general. But they do serve a purpose and they are there for the means to resolve and a quick end to an emergency for both baby and mom. And that is when we need to be using it. That is when we need to be having them. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so when we even are considering a planned, unplanned, or possibly an emergency situation, but we can never really plan for an emergency. That's not really how emergencies work. They usually come out of nowhere. We didn't never thought that this would have ever happened to us. And so no matter whether you are planning a vaginal birth or a cesarean, you always need to prepare. And this is because of the rate. It's so high right now. And which means this could be you. This could possibly be something that will happen to you or something we need to entertain the idea that it can happen. So one of the things that we can do is educate ourselves to prepare ourselves mentally so come take a childbirth education class with me. And this is where I we go over, even if you are wanting a vaginal birth, we go over all these things because I want you to be prepared. It's better to be prepared mentally so that way we take out the shock value and we take out of the possibility of you experiencing some type of negative birth experience, but also you we teach you how to make the best out of whatever option you have because every pregnancy is different. Everybody wants to choose something different for themselves. And so in my class, when we go over this, we go over the mental process of birth and why we think certain aspects of birth are the worst case scenario or why we are afraid of X, Y, and Z. We go over those things because our mental process and what we think about birth and going into it, whatever option that is or whatever the result may be, can greatly affect our birth experience and how we will recover and emotionally and physically and mentally be supported and taking care of ourselves in postpartum. So we go through that. And so I teach you what to expect. Even if you want to plan cesarean or have to do a plan cesarean, we go over on how to request and how to have a gentle cesarean in these experiences. And 
I will also show you how your support team can support you during and after, as well as connect you with all different resources and tools that are specific to your recovery period. So come take this childbirth education class with me. Next, hire a doula. Doulas have been known through their support to reduce the use of cesarean and other medical interventions. They are also great to be there for the support of your birth partner. (laughs) I mean, they're not there to replace your birth partner. They're there to support you and your birth partner. So they are great because they do help you weigh out in these vulnerable situations or they do help you weigh out the options between this and that and they do provide a little bit of that education in the moment if things end up changing. So hiring a doula is probably going to be one of your also best bets in these environments. Also too, one thing that I really want you to know is sometimes our body can react to the cesarean or to the anesthesia in ways that we just did not think, meaning you might feel nauseated, you might be anxious, you might become panicky, you might have tremors, which means uncontrollable shaking, you may be uncomfortable, which means you're going to feel the sensation, not necessarily feel the pain, but you are going to feel the pulling and the tugging. And they at one point will have to put some pressure on your belly to help the delivery of your baby. So you probably will feel a bit of that pressure and that can be a little intense. And anybody who is in that room being with you, supporting you, and there will be, there's going to be a lot of blood. So it's really not for those who have a very weak stomach who are kind of watching the process happening. So just preparing for that. And then two, you might feel drowsy during and after. So if this is really important for you to be present during or after your surgery, just know that you might feel a little drowsy. So doing something or making sure you're staying awake. I remember feeling like this in my surgery. I remember feeling very tired, very sleepy after, and I was like fighting to stay awake because I was like, this is important. This is important. This is, this is what I wanted. I want to be awake and I want to be present. So just knowing that I'm going to have to mentally prepare for that, but also just really know that I might feel drowsy. So I'm going to try to do what I can to stimulate my mind to stay awake. But if that doesn't happen, that's totally okay too. So recovery. Recovery for cesareans is a lot more challenging than a vaginal birth. And so there are five things that I want you to focus on while you are in recovery. The first one is resting. That means taking your time. Do not try to go back to a routine or quickly attempt to have a very strict routine. Rest is incredibly important when it comes to healing. Vaginal birth, non-vaginal birth, cesarean birth, resting is one of the most important things. I mean, I understand that we might have other kids, family members that we're taking care of, but really taking the opportunity and resting. That means laying down, sitting down, doing things that promote this resting. The second one is nourishment. Focus on foods that keep your digestive tract moving, but that also replenish your minerals and promote healing. This is what I also offer in my nine-week private education course. We go through all the different nutrition and things like that to help support you during your postpartum. But cesarean, this is no different. We need to be focusing on these different nourishing foods to help us heal internally from our surgery, but as well as our pregnancy 
So those types of things to help us support us in our postpartum. Next one is movement. I know this is probably not something that you would think would be something to focus on. And it will probably feel like any time you are getting out of your bed, especially in the beginning phases. I mean, directly after and the few days after your surgery, you're going to feel like your stomach is like gonna fall out. (laughs) But that really has to do with the fact that our abdominals have been separated, which has caused a little bit of the weakening of our pelvic floor area, the weakening of our core, those types of things. So just practice slowly getting out and into bed. That means taking time to get out of your bed and getting up from chairs, those types of things, going into a laying position. So if you're already laying down, you know, turning to your side and putting your feet down on the ground or putting your legs down on the ground before using your your arms to push yourself up or asking for that extra support. We are going to want to make sure that we are slowly getting up from sitting, doing any type of steps. This is one thing that is going to be really hard for you in the beginning is if you have a home that has a lot of steps and you need to climb these steps to get to the restroom or to having that support of getting up those steps, even if it's one or two steps, because it is going to take a little bit to rebuild your core and to strengthen those muscles. So, but the more we have these slow movements, the more that we are doing these movements, the more stronger we are going to get. Not to say that we need to overdo it, but we are going to practice not standing for long periods of time, but we are also going to have very low impact movements, such as walking, laying down exercises that help re build the core and provide strength to our pelvic floor. So no quick movements. If you need to laugh, cough, or sneeze, take a small pillow and hold it up against your incision for that extra support. Also invest in a belly abdominal band for that extra support. This will help you feel like things are not going to fall out, but also too, it helps kind of fuse your abdominals back together. This is why this helps prevent diastasis erecti or things along those sorts. So, I mean, people have been doing this for a very long period of time, ancestors have been doing this belly binding those types of things number four support so you're going to want to be asking help in all things that means help attending to the baby getting the baby getting out of bed sitting down standing up lifting things not things that are too heavy you're not supposed to be doing any heavy lifting things but picking bending down and picking things up getting into a comfortable breastfeeding position, grabbing pillows, helping people, you know, get the pillows that you need, putting them in areas that you need help putting them in so that you can get into that comfortable position. Walking from room to room, walking up a few stairs, set, getting out of the shower, etc. You're going to be out of commission for some time. So somebody to help you do these normal things, maybe not for long periods of time, but for sure in the beginning. If you don't have anybody who can do that, hire a postpartum doula they are they are there for you <laughs> hire them to do these things because they would more than happy be willing to come and support you to be able to do those things so whether it's a family member or a postpartum doula get somebody 
to come and support you to help you in this time, especially at least within the first week or within the first three to five days. This is very important. So someone also to help with other kiddos or to listen to your feelings or talk about any struggles of the transition because it's going to be hard, especially if we didn't plan this to happen. We're going to have a lot of different emotions and feelings about all this. So, and lastly, you are going to want to stay on top of your pain medication. Even if you don't feel like you need it or you don't feel like in the moment when the hour comes around for you to retake your pain medication that, oh, you know, I'm doing fine. Things are great. Take it. Because once the pain comes, it's going to be really hard to come back to a place where the feeling of little to no pain is there. Because you want to make sure that you're staying on top of it so that way you don't get to a point where there's really, it's really hard for you to come back. So just make sure that you are taking pain medication. I am not somebody who's willing to just take pain medication because I want to take it. I mean, I'm pretty much like this is the last resort, especially when it comes to pharmaceutical drugs. But this is a situation where crunchy or not, this is where you need to be staying on top of your pain medication. It's only for a short period of time, but even then, staying on top of it is going to benefit you so much in your recovery. Well, mama, I hope you learned a little bit about cesareans, whether or not you are planning to have. Don't forget, in honor of World Cesarean Month, I'm currently offering a 20% discount for my nine-week private childbirth education course. In this class, we will go over all things pregnancy, childbirth, prepare you for postpartum, and set you up with some amazing resources and tools to help you have the birth no matter what option is available to you and what option you choose. The great thing about this course is that it's based on your needs and your desires for your birth. And I know that all the information out there, maybe even some of what we shared today, can be very overwhelming and super intimidating, which is why I created this course for you so that you get to ask real live questions questions and get all the information you need to help you make an informed decision and for you to clearly understand it and not feel like you're still left in the dark not knowing what you would like to do or what certain information or education has been provided for you that you still don't understand. I am there for you every step of the way and I'm there to guide you, holding your hand, guiding you and leading you to a birth that you are really excited about, have a great perspective on and just are ready to do. I only take on a few families a month, so hurry and register and receive your discount by going to my website and registering and emailing me at cbecoaching at simplifybirthandmotherhood.com where I will apply your discount code and also to just share with me what you've enjoyed about today's episode or any other episodes that you have listened to. You're going to want to hurry because this offer ends May 1st. That is it for today and we will chat in the next episode. Bye! Hi again. Thank you so much for listening to this great episode. If you had learned something today, please make sure you leave a review in Apple Podcasts and share with another mom friend. Also, pop on over to our private Facebook group, sign up for our email list, and connect with me on social media which are all linked in the description of this podcast. I can't wait to see you over there and connect with you. Now go listen to your mom gut because wisdom will guide you and chances are it won't let you down. Until next time, cheers.